Good morning, everyone. My name is JB with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Thursday, August the 17th, 2023, and we're uh, delighted to have my good friend and uh, colleague Lucas Doremus back on uh, to continue our discussion of Jesus' enigmatic parables of the kingdom. This will be our third installment uh, in this series, and uh, we always enjoy talking to Lucas. You know, Proverbs 16, 24 says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Uh, that's what I think of when I think of talking to Lucas. He's such an encouragement, and and usually the reason his words are so encouraging is because they're straight from Scripture. A lot of Bible passages, a lot of interacting with the text, and just uh, cutting straight, as uh, Paul tells us in Second Timothy. Just a uh, you know, a, cutting a straight line from the the words on the page to the to the singular meaning of the text uh, when the quill hit the sheepskin. And so, uh, although these parables, the parables of the kingdom, have uh, historically been uh, given a bad rap in terms of being complicated and this and that. They're, they're really not when you take a look at it in its plain normal sense. Um, but they are, after all, parables. And uh, as we talked about in the first uh, installment of this mini-series with Lucas, uh, that was for a reason, to fulfill prophecy. So maybe he'll give us a review in just a moment when I bring him back on in case some of you are, are picking up this uh, series for the first time. But before we get started with Lucas, just a couple of quick uh, notes. Uh, I keep uh, mentioning this in the last two or three podcasts because it is kind of hot off the press and, and new information, but I've been asked to speak at a, a conference uh, by uh, with Tom Hughes' group, Hope for Our Times, next uh, weekend, not uh, tomorrow, but next weekend, August 25th and 26th. Uh, that was a last minute uh, fill in for one of the speakers who had to uh, had something come up and wasn't able to make it. And I am just really uh, thrilled about this opportunity. So uh, you can live stream that event. If you go to our website and scroll through the highlight banners, you'll see it listed there. It's called Until He Comes Prophecy Conference. Uh, it includes Alex Newman, Andy Woods, Olivia Milnick, Tom Hughes, of course, himself, Bill Federer, John Haller. Uh, just a great lineup. Honored to be a part of that group. I'll be speaking on uh, Saturday at, at the conference. Uh, but the great thing is, is it's all live streamed. And so very inexpensive. Uh, the conference is selling tickets for $14.99 and you get access to all of the speakers as well as uh, for 30 days after the conference, you can go back and watch it at your leisure. So even if you're not able to actually live stream it on Friday and Saturday next week, uh, you'll still be able to go and see some of those great speakers. And I'm looking forward to hearing uh, some of them. To me, it's just a blessing to get invited, even if I wasn't speaking. I'm thrilled uh, to be a part of that conference. So check that out at notbyworks.org. Again, you can click on the events tab on our main menu, or if you just scroll through the highlight uh, pictures on our highlight carousel, you'll come to uh, one that explains the that conference. Um, lots uh, of material out there this week from some great uh, podcasts. We started out the week on Monday with our sixth uh, episode of Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions, and I hope you'll take the time to listen to that. There's always something in there for somebody, and maybe you were one of the ones that emailed a question, and if so, you'll find your answer in uh, that episode. We always respond to the emails uh, that that we address in these episodes to let you know that your question was answered in that episode. So if you've sent in a question and haven't received an email from us, it just means your question is still in the queue and we'll be uh, addressing it hopefully in 
uh, the next episode or an upcoming episode. Uh, Tuesday night was Prophecy Night. We're doing a, a, a deep dive into the doctrine of the rapture and how it is distinguished from the second coming and what the differences between those two events are. And we started that on Tuesday night at Prophecy Night. Wednesday, of course, uh, yesterday was World Events Update with Randy. Um, and uh, always a one of the big uh, uh, favorite topics uh, each week, well, favorite podcast each week. And yesterday we spent quite a bit of time uh, really dissecting the Maui fires and some of the data and evidence that's coming out of uh, firsthand uh, eyewitnesses. Uh, so I uh, really encourage you to check that one out. Lots of good stuff yesterday. And, and he, he also gave his uh, insights into some of the other events that are ongoing uh, week to week. Uh, let's see, tomorrow, uh, Saturday, we'll have um, my uh, the final installment of our limited series. I think it ended up being five parts on preparedness, and we're going to talk about how to prepare for martial law on, uh, on Saturday and what is martial law and that kind of thing. So I hope you'll check that one out as well. Uh, I thought I would mention real quick before I bring uh, Lucas on, because someone emailed and suggested this. We, we've gotten so many uh, new listeners. The Lord's really increasing our stewardship as we remain faithful and try to get the word out about the gospel and all that's going on in this crazy mixed up world uh, that a lot of people may not be familiar with, uh, you know, kind of our core value and, and what we mean when we say NBW Ministries. NBW, of course, stands for Not By Works. Uh, comes from Titus 3.5 not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, uh, he saved us. And as you know, our passion is the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. And that is not just rhetoric. Each of those words was chosen intentionally when we created our mission statement many years ago. We first started this uh, supplementary ministry of my academic ministry at the time uh, in 1999, and uh, obviously, it's it's grown and evolved and expanded through the years, but that was really real, where it really began. And our core value has never changed. Uh, when we say the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message, what we mean is the gospel needs to be clear. It's not complicated. It needs to be articulated with precision. Uh, and uh, as I've said many times, you can state the gospel in 10 words or less. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. But it also needs to be accurate. And at a time when the gospel is severely under attack by the devil who's blinding men's hearts to the gospel, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, uh, we want to make sure that we sound a, not only a clear uh, sound, but also an accurate sound. And we do not mix the gospel with any kind of works or upfront requirements or pledges of obedience or promises. It's simple faith. So clear, accurate, and then urgent just means that we believe time is short. In the first place, uh, no one is promised tomorrow. Life is but a vapor, the Bible tells us. So we want you to uh, trust in Christ today. There's an urgency to the gospel, but there's also an urgency because we are living in the last of the last days, and things are. are every sign is indicating we're we're heading into uh, the end times, and the rapture uh, seems to be getting closer and closer. And so, because of that. Uh, we emphasize a lot of Bible prophecy. I speak at a lot of prophecy conferences. I write about that uh, all because of our heart for seeing people come to faith. So I just thought I would give that quick um, kind of review of, of who we are and where we are as a ministry. But I'm delighted to welcome Lucas Doremus, a longtime friend and uh, and colleague back to the program. Lucas, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. <laughs> Well, great to have you back and uh, giving lots of great feedback from your just teaching. It's just so 
plain and straightforward and and gracious and and all and uh and you have uh, of course written a book written several books but you've written a book about uh parables the lamp and the lamp stand i believe it's called uh and that's available at amazon uh and we as a church at plum creek chapel are using that book as a bible study tool for our midweek wednesday night uh, Bible Bible study. I'm not leading it. One of our deacons is leading that, but uh, uh, we, we've got 20 people or more in that class that are just loving it. So, folks, if you appreciate what you're hearing in this discussion about Jesus' enigmatic parables of the kingdom, uh, I encourage you to go to Amazon and pick up the book by Lucas Doremus, D-O-R-E-M-U-S, uh, and uh, yeah, that's how you spell it. <laughs> that, is that how you spell it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. My, my brain went you, you kinda... for a second. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I'm about to misspell my friend's name right here on the air. But uh, anyway, yeah, Lucas Doremus, D O R E M U S, and uh, the book is called The uh, Lamp and the Lampstand. So, Lucas, uh, yeah. uh, kind of dive in for us, uh, give us maybe a quick summary of what we've talked about so far, and then whatever else is on your heart. Yeah, so we've been doing a short series on the mystery kingdom parables, which are kind of a subset of the kingdom parables that are mentioned by Jesus. And it includes nine parables, eight of which are in Matthew 13, and they're repeated in some other gospels, and then one in Mark, which is the one we're going to study. But we started a few weeks ago with, you know, parables are, are told to uh, reveal truth and conceal truth uh, to those that are hearing it and also to fulfill prophecy. And so Jesus's ministry in Matthew 12 changed because that's when Israel formally uh, uh, did not accept the kingdom. They rejected Jesus as savior and king. And so Jesus's ministry took a turn. And one of the things he started doing is telling parables. And so these mystery kingdom parables, uh, mystery uh, being the Greek word uh, musterion, and basically meaning something now being revealed, previously not known, so these parables are new information about the kingdom. Now, it doesn't change any of the old information we already know about the kingdom. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's adding to it. And so we've gone through the parable of the sower and the wheat and the tares and the mustard seed. And not only have we explained those, but we've kind of tried to correct some teaching out there about what it is. And so we're, I think we're going to be able to finish up these parables because the, the last about six of them are, are quite short and they have a very simple meaning. Um, and they really, as I was studying, I, I, I told you before we went on the air, as I was restudying these, you know, kind of going over my book, re reading them, I was kind of getting to this point where I thought, well, there's got to be, if I just study these harder, there's got to be something new in there. And I kind of find found myself almost like trying to invent new things and new ways to talk about them. And we can't do that. We've got to stick to the context. We've got to stick to the meaning Jesus gives us. And that's it. And I think that's where some of the incorrect teaching has come with these is that we try to invent new things or come up with new ways of trying to explain them when we really just need to stick with what Jesus said. Amen. Yeah, I'm uh, just so you're not thrown off here. I'm muting my uh, video because uh, we're my wife's doing some work on uh, a VPN. And whenever we use VPN, it kind of slows down our bandwidth a bit. And I don't want it to interrupt you. So I'm not okay. uh, trying to hide from you here. I'm just uh, trying to save some bandwidth. But uh yeah, that's we talked about mysteries, by the way, Tuesday night. Uh, 
at mm-hmm. prophecy night in the context of the rapture and the church and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, these are uh, not you know intended to be mysteries you have to solve like an Agatha Christie a mystery, but uh, simply new information that God wanted uh, us to know, and that's why He revealed them in His Word. Yeah, that's right. And so I think um, I think we can just get started now. Th- this par- The first parable we're going to do is from Mark 4. It's the parable of the growing seed. And I don't hear much talk about this parable, but it's actually really, really important. Um, all these parables we're going to do today, uh, they make very clear certain doctrinal points um, th- that really help us understand the kingdom, understand God's plan of the ages, and it's really just using parables, you can really prove a lot. So this is Mark 4, verse 26. Um, this is nestled in between uh, the lamp on the, a lamp on the lampstand parable and the sower and then the mustard seed. And so this is Mark 4, 26. It says, and he said, this is Jesus talking, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Um, This parable is part of these, you know, agricultural uh, mystery parables, if I can say that. They all deal with sowing and seeds and harvest and all that. And the point of this parable is that Man, as the as the person scattering seed on the ground, doesn't have anything to do with how plants grow. Uh, we plant the seeds in the ground, and we can weed, you know, stuff like that. But ultimately, God is the one responsible for making the plants grow because he's the one that brings the rain. He's the one that brings the soil that it grows in, and he made the seeds in the first place. So the point of this parable is that man is not going to bring in the kingdom. Uh, God is responsible for bringing in the kingdom. He is going to do all the work. Man is not going to. Um, And that can be clear throughout the parables, or or excuse me, the covenants, the the major covenants. You've got the Abrahamic covenant, unconditional. God made it with Abraham. Abraham was actually asleep when God, you know, ratified it, so to speak, by walking through the animals. And if you look at the Davidic covenant, the land covenant, the new covenant, God is the one saying, I will do this. And man doesn't have a part in completing that covenant. And this parable makes that clear. And it's quite neat just that we know, oh, God's going to do it. We're not. Yeah. And what's, you know, what's important about that from a practical standpoint in, in Christianity today is there are so many uh, Bible teachers out there who are mistakenly suggesting that if we can just become good enough or elect enough Christians or clean up this old world enough, we can usher in the kingdom that it's all on us. It's, it's, uh, it's a you know a, you know a whole kingdom now type of philosophy or you know reconstructionism yep. sometimes it's called or theonomic ethics you'll hear it referred to, but um, but that's uh, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The kingdom will not come until God sends His Son back to the earth as promised to take the throne. And in case our listeners are not uh, familiar with your references there to the covenants, you know God first made a covenant with Abraham 2,000 years before Christ in which he promised him land 
for Israel, the Holy Land. He promised him uh, a, a king forever on the throne, uh, and he promised him uh, blessings worldwide that will be as more than the numbers of the sands of the sea. And so over the next several hundred years, God reiterated those unconditional promises to Abraham through subsequent covenants. You mentioned them, the uh, the New Covenant, the Davidic Covenant, those types of things. Um, but we still await the fulfillment of those promises. We have not ever seen uh, a king take the throne in Israel who lasted forever. We have not uh, seen a global kingdom. Uh, we haven't seen even Israel in their homeland uh, occupy the land the way it was described in Genesis 15 to the fullest extent. So, uh, you know, God tells us very plainly uh, in the latter prophets of the Old Testament, uh, the post-exilic prophets like Jeremiah, that as long as we see, look up in the sky and see sun, moon, stars, and the like, uh, we can still know that God's covenant has, you know, has not uh, gone away. He's He's going to fulfill His promises. And so, uh, last time I looked up, that's what I saw. So that tells yep. me God's still in the covenant fulfilling business. And so someday we will see this kingdom. But as you said, it, and as Jesus taught here in this parable, it is the work of God and God alone. Yeah, and we this parable or and that you know God doing all the work that is such practical implications uh, in our daily lives. You know the the social issues that are out there they are not going to be solved until Jesus comes back. Um, you know, like one of that just this one just comes to mind. You know, abortion will not be solved until Jesus comes back. Now. Don't hear me say don't help women or don't fight against it. Don't hear me say I'm. I'm. I, we should because we we don't want to kill our babies that are in the womb or immediately after or anything like that. But it isn't going to be solved until Jesus comes back. Man can't fix that problem and totally get rid of it. Uh, right. Am I the saying whole, that clearly, JB? <laughs> you are. Yeah. The whole yeah. world is under the sway of the wicked one. And again. The Bible is very clear about what our task is as we await his return. We have one life to live. Our job is to make a difference in this world, to be a, a, to shine like lights in this perverse generation, Paul tells it, to uh, let our lives glorify God uh, and, and shine before men, as Jesus said. So, you know, it's not that we aren't supposed to be taking a stand and making a difference and there are a lot of practical things that we can do to stem the tide of of evil and immorality, but it's all about the motive. If our motive is that, well, if we just try hard enough, we can turn this world around, we've missed the point. Uh, we are a restraining influence in the world today through the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. Uh, Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, and so we have a job to do, and we ought to do it, but if anyone out there thinks that, that somehow— we can succeed in ushering in a utopian age of the kingdom simply by uh, our efforts. They've missed it. Uh, it's, we're not going to see a kingdom of peace and righteousness and judgment until the King of Kings and Prince of Peace uh, comes back. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that's that's clear enough. Um, you know, some people tend to emphasize 
political involvement. I think people know my view on all of that uh, through my book, my recent books. Um, I believe if you uh, if you are in a situation where your your vote really counts, you're not pretend voting, but it's a real vote, uh, then you ought to vote and you ought to try to make a difference. And that's our biblical duty to to try to elect men and women who hold a biblical worldview and will 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 help govern based on you know moral principles. Um, Obviously, if you believe you're pretend voting, then I, you know I wouldn't waste your time. We don't have time to play games and pretend like we're voting when we're really not. Um, but even in voting, in situations where you have reason to believe your vote actually counts, you need to understand that that that's not the panacea. That it's not about just electing enough Christians to office and suddenly God will say, "Good job, you finally got this world cleaned up enough. I think I'll come back." That's not the way it works. It's the other way around. The Bible says things are getting worse and worse and worse, and they won't get better until Christ comes back. Yeah, and and I think for for me, you know, I I live in central Illinois and, you know, I have a very small sphere of influence, but everybody has one. And you know what God's given you in your sphere of influence, no matter how big or small, that's what you need to take care of. That's your stewardship. And in this growing seed, you need to understand that, yeah, we're not going to fix the world. We're not going to bring in the kingdom. We can do what God gave us, which is live by faith and those sorts of things right around us, but we're not going to bring it in. We are not going to make this world perfect. And that parable makes it so clear. Amen. Good job. So, so yeah, don't lose heart. This isn't. This is actually an encouraging thing because we can trust God to fix it, not feel like we have to. It's more encouraging than discouraging if you really think about it. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right. So let, now we're gonna we're gonna jump back to Matthew 13, and this is the parable of the leaven. Uh, this one has a lot of a lot of interesting things in it, but it's it's really so simple. This is Matthew 13:33. It says another parable he spoke to them again Jesus talking the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened now this parable has a lot of interpretations about you know who the woman is and what the leaven is and how much evil there is and the dough and you know all this interesting stuff um, most people, the way I've heard it teach is something about leaven being evil because we know Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and things like that. But that can't be true because it says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. So if we're going with, the, with what the picture is here, the kingdom is the leaven and the kingdom definitely is not evil. So you can't come up with an interpretation of somehow the leaven being evil because you'd be calling the kingdom evil. And that's bad. <laughs> right. Now, it's yeah. true, though, that in some places Jesus does use leaven in a negative context, but in totally different Absolutely. context. Right. Mm -hmm. And so leaven, yeah, and that's, that's the next point I was going to make. Leaven is sometimes bad, but like when you, if you go back all the way to Exodus 12, you know, leaven, God told the Israelites not to put leaven in the dough because they were going to get kicked out of Egypt so fast. So leaven there has nothing to do with being evil. It's in terms of haste, and it became became a reminder of what God did for the Israelites. That the you know that tenth plague happened in in the Exodus, and they were out of there faster than they could put their sandals on, because <laughs> God told them to eat with their sandals. You know, and leaven takes time to make the dough rise. So again, leaven can be evil, but it doesn't have to be evil. So let's not 
come up with this interpretation that leaven is evil. Again, because then you'd be calling the kingdom evil. Uh, the point of this parable is that the kingdom is going to permeate every single area of the world, just like leaven permeates every single part of bread when you make it. When Jesus comes back, there is going to be no place on earth where Jesus' Jesus's rulership doesn't touch. Mm. Um, if you go with the Beatitudes, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Every single part of the kingdom is going to have the influence of Jesus as king. Mm. That's what this par parable is trying to say. Yeah, I, I call it unprecedented time of global peace, righteousness, mm -hmm. and judgment. Um, remember, uh, Christ is om omnipotent. He's omniscient. Uh, mm -hmm. He's uh, omnipresent. So uh, when he's ruling, you know, he, nothing within the global kingdom is going to escape his notice and attention. Uh, I'm yep. working on my new book, Spirit of the False Prophet, right now, which is all about the false prophet's role as kind of the the leader of the planetary control grid during the tribulation period. And of course, all of the stuff that's happening right now is setting the stage for that. And, you know, it strikes me again and again at how the false prophet is, is none of those things. He is not omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. So he's going to have to use uh, artificial intelligence and other technological means to, or, you know, orchestrate this control grid. But when, uh, as this parable illustrates, when Christ comes back, it, there's not going to be a single corner of the earth that is untouched by his sovereign earthly control. Yep. And what always amazed that, so that point is so simple. The woman, the meal, the everything is there just to serve the purpose that Christ's rule is global and every single aspect of life is going to be changed by him. What always strikes me, JB, when I read this parable is we know from Revelation at the end of that thousand years, Satan is going to be released and there is going to be this amazing amount of people that will have not believed join Satan in that last battle, which really isn't a battle, but they aren't saved. What's amazing is that Jesus will be so present in everything, yet so many people will still not place their faith in him. You know, yeah. how sinful man is. <laughs> exactly. It's like Jeremiah said, the heart of man is desperately wicked. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I've talked about that a lot, uh, that during, during the millennial phase of the kingdom, um, it just shows you that uh, the gospel is so powerful, yet it's not it doesn't force people mm -hmm. into the family of God. The gospel has to be freely accepted. It's a gift. And God does not force anybody to accept that gift. And so for that reason, if anybody rejects the gift and ends up in hell, they have no re nobody to blame but themselves. So God, you know, God didn't force you to sin. You chose to sin. Uh, Adam and Eve chose to sin and, and, and then sin passed upon all the world. We're all born in sin. Uh, we sin because we're sinners, and the punishment for that sin is eternal uh, eternity in a you know place of torment called hell. Uh, and then God is doing everything He can to keep us out of that by first of all paying our penalty through the shed blood of His Son and our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ then rose from the dead and is purchased eternal life for us, and He's handing it out. He's saying, "Here, come one, come all. Whosoever will, let him come drink of the water of life freely." And those who, even in the most idyllic conditions of the millennium, refuse to accept Christ's offer of eternal life, well, then they're going to have eternity to pay for it. And uh, but it is really stunning that how people just uh, you know will use any excuse 
to be to to not accept Christ. I mean, I, in my book, uh, Top Ten Reasons, uh, the full title is Top Ten Reasons Some People Will Go to Hell and the One Reason No One Ever Has to, uh, dives into that whole issue of what in the world would keep somebody from accepting such a valuable gift. It's just stunning to me. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's the gist of it during the millennium. Yep. And you're going <laughs> to, you know, just to keep going, you're going to have so many people, glorified bodies or not, walking around basically singing God's praises, if I can mm -hmm. kind of use that phrase. And people are still not going to believe. I mean, the life these people are going to have to live to hide their belief is uh, seems unreal to me, but mm -hmm. it's going to happen. You know, yeah. it's going to happen like that. Yeah, for sure. Um. Uh, we can move on now. These I, I call these the again parables. Uh, these are the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price and the dragnet. And Jesus starts all of them by saying again. And so uh, this is Matthew thirteen forty four. This is the parable of the hidden treasure. And it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Um, now, this comes right after the explanation of the parable of the sower, and Jesus is elaborating on this idea of who's going to be in the kingdom. And so in this parable, you've got uh, the, the treasure hidden in the field, which a man found, as in he wasn't looking for it. Well, Jesus came, Jesus came very specifically to one group of people. Uh, and in Matthew 15, just a couple chapters later, Jesus says very specifically, I was not sent except to the lost sheet of the house of Israel when he's talking to a Gentile. But then this girl goes on in this story, and Jesus, who is a Gentile, and Jesus admires her faith because she places her faith in Jesus. So Jesus was sent to Israel. That was his purpose in coming. He sent, was sent there to start the kingdom. They rejected him, but Gentiles are going to be there too. So this hidden treasure, these are the Gentiles. We are going to be there. Jesus didn't come for us, but we're going to be there. Yeah. So and, let me elaborate real quick or clarify one thing. Uh, as yeah. it relates to God's program for Israel, Jesus came to Israel, as you said. Not, not yes. Now, the Bible tells us, you know, theologically and, and broader in, in terms of God's broader plan, he came to the earth to save sinners, all, mm -hmm. all sinners. Uh, that's, that's the reason he came. But in terms of the context of, of his program for Israel, he came to Israel. In fact, John, and you may have this verse on your list there, but John says he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him, you know, John mm -hmm. 1. So, uh, so yeah, that this treasure here is referencing, as Jesus often does in his teaching, the Gentiles who weren't looking for it, weren't expecting it, and certainly didn't follow the moral Jewish law, and yet discovered this treasure of uh, the good news of salvation through faith in Christ. Yeah, yeah, thanks for the for the clarification. Yes, that, that's what I meant. Yeah, Jesus died, I mean, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has. Jesus paid everything he possibly could to save everyone, mm -hmm. or uh, say it this way, give everyone the opportunity to be yeah. saved. And you see it through the book of Acts. So often the Gentiles are far more receptive of, say, Paul's message uh, than the Jews are. And so, uh, boy, am I thankful for this parable because I'm a Gentile and uh, I'm so glad Jesus died for me, even though that Israel is God's chosen people. All those things you said, he died for me, too. 
And I'm so glad that he paid that price. And he, you know, he sought me out when I was a stranger, <laughs> you know, as the, yeah. as the uh, hymn good. says. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the parable of the hidden treasure. Now the parable of great pearl of great price goes right along with it. This is verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So in this parable, it's the same situation, except this guy is seeking what he found. When he finds it, he pays all the price. That's talking about Israel. Jesus was specifically sent to Israel. That's God's chosen people. And he bought them. He paid the price. He died on the cross for us. So these work together very well. They're basically saying Jesus came (laughs) essentially for everybody, even though he came specifically for one people in his first coming. Yeah. And and just to be clear, this is, you know, a lot of people have, uh, like they do with all of these parables, have sort of uh, been guilty of focusing too much on the trees and not on the forest. And so they try to identify certain details. And so you'll hear people, especially Lordship Salvationists or Calvinists, try to say, well, see, you got to buy, you got to buy it, you got to earn it, you got to do something to, to, to put forth your own skin in the game, so to speak. But that's beyond the scope of what he's saying. He's he's just talking here about the the audience, the one who gets the treasure. In the one case, he wasn't looking for it, and the other, he was. But in either case, it's valuable, and certainly eternal life is valuable. It costs Jesus Christ his own blood. Um, but uh, he's not giving the details here about the manner in which we receive the gift. Uh, he's just talking about who receives it. Yeah, we're in the context of the kingdom parables, and that's actually a nice uh, segue into the next one. The, again, these go fast because they all work together. This is the parable of the dragnet, the fishing net. This is verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So before Jesus gives us the interpretation, I think he's telling this parable. So so the disciples are supposed to understand the Gentiles, Jesus died for them, uh, and the Israel, Jesus clearly died for them, bought them. And now he's saying everybody's going to be gathered, but not everybody's good, as in not everybody has faith. So lest you think there's any sort of universalism going on here, uh, that isn't the case. Mm. Great point. Uh, and, yeah. Yep. And then Jesus gives us the interpretation. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, we talked about that phrase, uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth, as well as outer darkness last time. It just means not getting into the kingdom. Uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth is what you'll do. It's the extreme regret of not getting into the kingdom. Outer darkness is where you're going to go, which is not the kingdom, whether you call it hell, Gehenna, the lake of fire. It's not getting into the kingdom. So Jesus, with these parables of the, the wheat and the tares, which he you know just got done explaining, and then hidden treasure, great price, and dragnet, he's getting further clarification that everybody's going to have a chance Yet there will be some that get in and some they don't. And even though he doesn't explicitly state it in these parables, it's faith that's the determining factor in all this. Yeah. And, you know, to to give some historical context here, you know, faith has always been 
the manner in which people approach God and are made right with God. Uh, they believe in him, they trust him to solve their sin problem, their sin predicament of, of, of punishment for sin, a penalty for sin. Uh, Abraham, who's the father of the Jewish nation, remember it was Abraham's grandson Jacob that became Israel, uh, and uh, he believed God, had faith, and that's what caused him to be declared righteous before a holy God. So all along, God's people have been told to approach him by faith. That's the only way you can approach him. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But along the way, as the Jewish system was revealed by God, and by the way, the, the Jewish sacrificial system, the system of feasts and festivals, the law, essentially, was put in place, the Bible tells us in Galatians, simply as a steward, a manner in which to maintain order and to give some structure. Uh, it was never intended, uh, nor is it, uh, a means of getting saved. The Jews didn't get to go to heaven because they kept every jot and tittle of the law. In fact, the Bible explicitly says, by the works of the law, no one can be justified before a holy God. So, so all along, it's been by faith, but somewhere along the way, the Jews, by the time you get to the first century, where we're looking at today, where Jesus is uh, speaking and talking to the first century Jewish you know, audience— they had sort of gone astray and convinced themselves that entrance into the kingdom was simply about keeping the law. And so, you know, this these parables all kind of remind them that just because you're a Jew, even if you're a good Jew, you're not automatically going to get into the kingdom. You know, when when at the end of the age, there's going to be a separation and uh, not everybody gets in. And of course, you know, you have to compare Scripture to Scripture and look at other passages to find out explicitly why some are not get in, and it's by faith. If you don't have faith, you'll die in your sins, Jesus said. Uh, but that's really the, the eye-opening mystery, if you will, the new information that Jesus is wanting this first-century generation to see is that, look, you, you don't get a pass just because of your uh, Jewish heritage. Yeah. And if you read uh, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, those are the curses and blessings for following the law, the Mosaic law, or not following the Mosaic law. And it, the rest of the Old Testament basically reads like a playbook of those two chapters. Uh, when Israel follows the law and when they don't, what happens to them? Exactly what God said. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Israel's acceptance of Jesus as, the, as king, that will, you know, converge, uh, uh, that's probably not the right way to, uh, excuse me, let me rephrase. I'm thinking of how to say it in my head as I go. It's not good. So <laughs> the, the, the Abrahamic covenant, you know, further defined by the land covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant, those are all unconditional. It will happen to converge with the timing of the fulfillment of the Mosaic covenant, which is when Israel becomes uh, completely obedient. Right. Yeah. The Mosaic covenant is conditional, is what you're saying. Uh, it was a rule of law, blessing and cursing. Hey, if you do this, it'll go well. If you don't, you're going to be in for some some tough times. But that had no bearing on whether or not they will get into the kingdom. It just right. kind of coalesces around the timing of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and to further explain that background, you know, when Israel was sent into ex exile for 70 years, you know, you ever ask yourself, well, why 70? Well, it's because they didn't let the land rest for its Sabbath every seven years for what, 490 years? Yeah. And they knew that from the end of Second Chronicles 
you know, it says, and this is chapter 36, verse 20, and those who escaped from the sword were carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept the Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Hmm. Well, the Jews understood that. So what did they do? Well, we're never going to let that happen again. So we're going to make sure we follow the Sabbath. So when Jesus shows up and she, he's basically constantly fighting with the Pharisees about the Sabbath, well, why? Well, because the Pharisees had made sure we're never going to break the Sabbath again. So they put all these man-made rules in place to protect the law when the law wasn't what was getting them into heaven in the first place. But that's why it's coming. So there's a lot of context coming into Matthew of why the Jews think the way they do and why Jesus is telling these parables to break all that down. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, they 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 reiterated uh, the the law with six hundred and thirteen additional little laws, you know, trying to explain it. But yeah, the Sabbath was a a big deal, and uh, and they had sort of missed the point. They had they had as he, writer of Hebrews would go on to say they had looked at the shadow and turned it into the substance instead of uh, the other way around. That the, the law just pointed to ultimately to God and His Son Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, all right, what's next? Well, we've got one more, which really um, just kind of brings these things together. This is uh, the parable of the householders. So this is verse 51 of chapter 13. Jesus says to them, this is his disciples, privately, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, Lord. I kind of wonder <laughs> if they really did. You know, they're saying, oh, yeah, we get it all. But, I, you know, they keep making mistakes as things yeah, well, goes Peter, on. Peter was notorious for saying yes, Lord, when he meant no, Lord. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I, I read that and I just kind of wonder, eh, did they really get it? Because I'll tell you, this took me a while to understand. I remember calling you when I was trying to write this book, asking for your, your thoughts on it. But anyway, so G what does Jesus do? Tell them one more parable. Verse 52, then he said to them, therefore, every scribe concerning instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Well, it's this one's pretty clear. What's being new presented here? Well, the previous nine parables, uh, the eight that are here, and then the one in Mark. What's old? <laughs> the entire Old Testament. So what does a, a good a scribe in this case do, instructed concerning? He puts it all together. So we are not to take these parables and, and look back at the Old Testament and go, well, they're in conflict, so Jesus must be talking about something different, something completely new. No, no, no. We're supposed to put the old information that we're given about the kingdom together with the new information Jesus is just teaching, and now we have a complete view of what the kingdom is. Amen. Yeah, um, it, it reminds me of Jesus' uh, statement about the new wine and old wineskins, you know? Yes, yeah. it, it's very similar to that. So, and Jesus goes on, you know, we've got the Olivet Discourse, which I know you've spent a ton of time in. Plus, we've also got the book of Revelation. Well, that's even more detail about what's going to run up to the kingdom um, that we're supposed to learn and put together with the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, when you when you don't read the Bible with a, a dispensational sensitivity, and by dispensation, that's a biblical term. It comes straight out of the Bible in Ephesians three. Uh, it means understanding God's different stewardships. 
uh, specifically his program for Israel as contrasted with his program for the church. If you don't read the Bible with that type of sensitivity, you're going to miss the whole point. I mean, and, and that's why, frankly, most non-dispensational teachers don't have an eschatology. They never talk about Bible prophecy because to them, all of that stuff in the future that 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 kind of brings to fruition God's promises to Israel is irrelevant. And and so their their end times chart is just a line with a dot at the end of it. You know, Christ comes back, woo ha, that's it, nothing else. Uh, but again, sixteen percent of the Bible, as I often say, is unfulfilled prophecy, and uh, it's exciting when you see it and read it in context because uh, it's the the culmination of things that uh, the people of Israel and really the whole earth has been longing for, all of creation. Yeah, I remember asking a question to a. Uh a business person of a Christian ministry. And I prefaced it a little bit, but the question was basically, does the end times or does your end times view impact how you run this ministry? Mm. And they basically said, well, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about how the end times is going to happen. And so since we're kind of an ecumenical ministry, no, the end times doesn't, or our eschatology wow. doesn't impact it. And, to me, I just kind of, you know, it's like, well, that's a shame because I think so many ministries would be so much better served if we knew what was going to happen and we saw what was coming. Um, you mentioned with your new book, you know, AI and the different technologies. I look at some of the Christian ministries out there and what they're doing with technology. And I just think, boy, we are playing right into the Antichrist's hand. We are happy to just hand money to Amazon and Microsoft and Google and all those guys. It's like, you know, it might be a little bit more expensive. It might be a little less convenient, but don't we care about not going with that? Yeah. I mean, um, people have no idea we're building our own gallows in a manner of, of speaking, but uh yeah, you know, I, you should send me that guy's name because I'd like to go punch him right in the nose. You know? <laughs> I, it really, I'm just kidding, but it really bothers me when people act like, well, there are different views on it, so it doesn't matter. Well, mm -hmm. there are different views on abortion. Does that matter? There are different views on LGBTQ. Does that matter? There are different views on you know homosexuality. Does that matter? I mean, there are different views on a lot of things. The presence of different views does not in and of itself mean it's not important. And yet so many Christians, that's the first thing out of their mouth. Well, there's so many different views on it. We just don't really take a stand. If we practiced right. that, if we use that principle in other areas of life, uh, you know, we, we, we would be, we would be in deep, deep trouble. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I get really riled up when I hear people say that because, you know, I obviously our listeners know I'm passionate about eschatology and the end times. And I, I believe we're living in the last of the last days. And, and I honestly, um, consider it an incredible blessing to be living in the age in which we live when we're seeing so much happen like AI, which I've been really knee deep in now for this research for this book, you know, 10, 12, 13 hours a day writing and looking. And sometimes I'll go off in, in different tangents and spend three hours researching something just to get one sentence in the book, you know, because it is I a know complicated, what you, mean. you know, exactly what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I wish I had your technology mind for our listeners that don't know, uh, Lucas is, 
uh, it comes from the world of technology. And uh, but uh, anyway, you know, that's part of being a good steward when you write is to make sure you accurately portray uh, portray things. But anyway, yeah, Lucas, well, yeah. Well, with the technology, I was going to give kind of an anecdotal thing that happened to me. You know, when we talk about technology, I, I work in IT, so we work with computers and that kind of stuff. And I was talking to a person and we were talking about, quote, going to the cloud. Uh, if anybody's working in a business or hears that term, well, we're going to go to the cloud or migrate to the cloud or whatever that means. All it means is you're taking what's on your computers and you're going to put all of that data and whatever else it is into somebody else's computer. Exactly. That's yeah. that's all it means. And so gen the, the three big ones out there, you're either going to go with Microsoft, you're going to go with Amazon, which is called AWS, or you're going to go with Google. So you're taking what's on your computer, your applications, your data, putting it all on their computer and running it out of there. Now, what they can do is they can make it cheaper, right? As, as you've, depending on how you do it, they can make it cheaper to quote, run in the cloud, which means run in their computer rather than hosting it on your own computers. And so I was having this conversation with the guy and we're discussing between Amazon and Microsoft stuff. And I just kind of made the comment, well, you know, if you're already doing stuff in Microsoft, you might as well just tell your sales rep that you're thinking about Amazon because she'll probably give you a lot of discounts. And if you're going to pay Satan, you might as well get it cheaper. <laughs> and, and and he he laughed like you. And then he it was kind of this weird chuckle. And he goes, and I just wanted to go disagree with me with what I just said. And he goes, nope, I know exactly what you mean and exactly what you're saying. Oh, yeah. No, I, are, I, I've talked about that a lot in, in my presentations and conference messages that the cloud is just somebody else's computer. Mm -hmm. uh, people, you know, think that they look up and they think, oh, it's in the cloud. It's like floating around in the cosmos. No, it's not. It's in, it's just, you know, instead of being on a server or a computer in your next room, it's somewhere else and it's just mm -hmm. connected wirelessly, but it still resides on somebody else's uh, computer, specifically uh, Satan's, <laughs> by the, by the yeah. way, as you just said. So, yeah. And, and so, I mean, you know, I wouldn't, if you have some kind of business or opportunity, just because it's a little cheaper, I would encourage you not to do those things. Um, you know, you mentioned with us being a restraining influence that Paul talks about. One way is in our own little ways, we cannot subscribe to those convenience factors that essentially Satan is offering us through Amazon or Microsoft. And, you know, if we would not do some of those things, you know, we might be surprised how much that would hold back. Now, yeah. we, like you said earlier, also, we live in the Satan's world, you know, unless we're going to be completely homestead, completely off the grid, we can't totally detach. But if we make some little decisions here and there, we could make an impact. Yeah. You know? No, you can. You can stem the tide a little bit. Um, by the way, quick question. Uh, you mentioned uh, Microsoft, AWS and Google. Where does Apple's uh, cloud fall into this? So Apple doesn't have much of a market share. Okay. Um, you know, they have their own stuff that you can go with. You can buy Apple servers and all that. It's very, very expensive. Okay. So it's a very niche market. And from what I understand, Google's market share is actually very small, too. So they might not be in it for a whole lot longer. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's essentially Amazon called AWS and Microsoft, which is called Azure, Azure, however you say that. I've heard it a lot of different ways. But they want you. I mean, I work at a place where we work with Microsoft stuff. And Microsoft is extremely open about saying, we want you to move to our cloud. And we're, we have a specific sales pitch to get you to go there. 
We're going to call you and ask you where you're at to move to our cloud. I mean, they're very insistent about it. They don't want you on your own stuff. And, and what is you know? Google's uh, cloud software called? I think it's just called Google Cloud or, Google you know, cloud, yeah. yeah, I forget the exact. It's, it's something real simple like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I can remember way back, uh, you know, before cloud computing became such a thing when there was a company, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a, a backup company. And, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people were going, were, were backing up their computers to this backup service. Yeah. And it was cloud-based. It, it was it was the early iterations of, of the cloud concept. And I can remember trying to argue, uh, even back then, this is when I was working on my book, uh, Great Last Day's Deception, so 10, 12 years ago now. You know, I, I I would to make a point, I would say, oh, you're I wish I could think of the name of the, the backup company. But um, anyway, I would say, so have you ever have you ever met so and so who runs the company? Well, no. Do you know his name? No. And I just ask a series of questions that I go. So basically, you're handing over your entire computer hard drive with all your sensitive data, your passwords, your banking information, all of that to some person you've never met. You know, and then it would sort of make people stop and think, well, yeah, I guess when you put it that way, that is what I'm doing. But, you know, uh, so what we do at Not By Works is we have actually multiple external hard drives and we back up at least every seven days. Uh, and when we have a lot of activity or if I'm like when I'm writing a book and there's changes to it, we back up to an external hard drive that then gets put into a fire safe that is physically here Uh you know, uh, regularly, and we control the data. Now, as you mentioned, conveniences, we do use cloud-based convenience tools like Dropbox, yep. just so that when I'm on the road or when I need to send files to somebody or Brooke or my wife or people that work with us in the ministry, uh, yep. it's that that kind of stuff. But it's not we're not dependent on that. Dropbox could disappear tomorrow, and I've still got my data. Yeah. And I, I've got, I know we've kind of gone off on a tangent of technical things, but um, the point is, you know, the, the with these parables and your view of eschatology, that matters. Mm-hmm. And so if, you know, the Antichrist coming and what he's going to do and the technology he's going to use, we can put together what we know in the Old and New Testament, and we can actually do something about it practically. Yeah, now, we're, we're kind of, as we talked, we're not going to change the direction. <laughs> it is going where it's going. But as you've been doing, you say your series on preparedness and things, there are lots of little things we can do as believers to uh, avoid the, the impact of that. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of it is, and you're right, we have gone on on a tangent, but I'm an easy mark these days because I'm, <laughs> I'm working all about and you know artificial intelligence and technology. The new book is Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy. That's the name of the full name of the book that we finally landed on. But uh, so uh, you're basically writing a chapter in my book right now. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, but, I can uh, help. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can, can thank help, me but, yeah, later. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it... Uh, you know, it it is. Uh, I forget where I was even going with that, but yeah, people uh, need to understand that you know you y- you can do things for convenience, uh, but you have to do it eyes wide open. That was what I was going to say. It's 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 mm-hmm. it's fine as long as you know what you're dealing with and are prepared at a moment's notice to shift into old school off the grid. You know. Yeah, and and we just we we need to be prepared for that. Um, yeah you know, as we move forward and, and we could go on and on about that sort of thing, but I'm going to try to avoid that 
<laughs> yeah, really. Well, but, summarize uh, for us these uh, parables of the kingdom as we wrap up today. Great stuff. Great sure. encouragement. Uh, give us kind of a wrap up. Yeah. Well, the parable of the growing seed, uh, God is the one responsible for bringing in the kingdom. Man is not. Uh, the parable of the leaven, the kingdom of heaven is going to permeate every single part of the globe. There will be no spot where Jesus's influence will not be felt. Uh, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, they work together. Jesus did not come his first time seeking the Gentiles, but he died for them too. Jesus came seeking Israel and he died for them. But we know from the parable of the dragnet, the point is not everybody's going to get in of those two groups. There's going to be a judgment, and whether you get in or out is going to be based on faith. And uh, trust me, you want to get in. Hmm. And then the, uh, the parable of the householder, you've got to put the old information about the kingdom throughout the whole Old Testament with the new information of that, the kingdom being revealed now and after the, the word with the rest of the New Testament together. And then you get this complete view of what the kingdom is. Mm. Amen. And, Outstanding stuff. So, uh, so yeah, let's, uh, let's talk offline and pick a time for you to come back on again. I always enjoy our dialogues. I know our listeners do too. Uh, and uh, we'll pick a new subject um, that we can, that we can dive into, but uh, thanks so much for being with us, Lucas, tell the family. Hello. Oh, I will. <laughs> and uh, listeners, thanks so much for listening today. I hope you were encouraged as I was. And uh, continue to keep us in your prayers. We certainly appreciate and and and, and value your uh, faithful prayers and support. Uh, notbyworks.org is a great resource where you can stay in touch with what's going on in our ministry. Uh, we have uh, upcoming events and new resources uh, highlighted on the highlight carousel of the homepage. If you kind of dig around on the menu there on the left-hand side, you can go directly to archived videos and podcasts and devotionals. Um, but if we can ever uh, be of help or, or do anything for you, feel free to reach out at notbyworks.org or give us a call at 1-800-895-1851. Again, 1-800-895-1851. But until next time, uh, God bless. Have a great rest of the week, everyone, and we'll talk again soon.